My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content, we welcome Brendan Delaney, the Chief Marketing Officer of Booz Allen Hamilton's Commercial Division. Brendan joins the discussion with Anda Ganska, the CEO of Notch, and Andrew Bolton, the SVP of Global Partnerships at Notch. Among other things, Brendan talks to us about making content more engaging. With the content he develops, he seeks to go beyond just capturing attention by bringing customers into a multi-sensory experience. He notes that it's the marketer's responsibility to make the experience that much more productive for the end user. This episode was recorded on May 29th, 2020. We hope you enjoy. Okay, hi everyone, um, and welcome to another episode of Pros and Content. Um, really excited today to have uh, two special guests who are going to jump into a conversation together with me about all things B2B marketing and content. Um, so today we have Brendan Delaney, who is the CMO of the commercial division of Booz Allen Hamilton, one of the largest consulting companies in the world. Um, and he also just told us he's from Long Island, so I like him even more because uh, I think I'm moving to Long Island soon. So <laughs> welcome, Brendan. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Um, and then we have Andrew um, from Team Notch, who basically runs all of our customer relationships, but has really been focused on working closely with a lot of the consulting companies that, that we work with and as such has a ton of expertise in the space and um, is going to help me direct some of these questions at Brendan. So um, on that note, I wanted to kick it off and maybe throw it over to Andrew just to quickly introduce himself further and um, kick it off with the first question. Yeah, for sure. So uh, again, my name is Andrew Bolton. I'm the SVP of partnerships here at Notch. Um, and Sanda mentioned work really closely with uh, all of our clients um, across industries to, to help them get the most out of Notch. And so excited to have uh, Brendan here today talk a little bit about how they think about content, approach content um, at Booz. And I think that uh, starting off, uh, you've got a pretty interesting background, uh, especially your your previous job before coming to, uh, to Booz Allen. Just love to hear a little bit about your, your journey um, to where you're at now um, and what you've been really focused on um, at, at Booz Allen for the last couple of years. Yeah, appreciate it. Again, thanks for having me. So, uh, Brendan Delaney, uh, first job out of university was I went to work for General Mills, a great CPG company, uh, lived in a bunch of different interesting locations, did some sales and marketing there. So it was a great introduction, kind of great first job. I uh, went to graduate school out of Georgetown University, and then I spent almost four years with GE in their venture capital group. And so uh, in that role, what I did was what we called corporate development, which actually became really, really critical to what I do in my current job with Booz. But corporate development at GE Ventures was essentially how do we help our portfolio companies grow and scale? And this was in the kind of mid 2010s. And it was at a time where there were a lot of companies and a lot of individuals on Silicon Valley who had available dollars and who were investing. And there were angel investors everywhere. And if you were a really smart, you were really sophisticated, you were a really attractive company, 
you could basically go out and you could find a bunch of different sources of funding. So what we were doing is we were competing with other corporate venture firms and other venture investors to try to essentially sell ourselves to say, why was it that we would be your partner of choice? So our corporate development team, which I worked on, was all about how do we help our portfolio companies grow and scale? So it was really kind of an interesting time to be in the market. Even though I wasn't necessarily an investor, it was how are we separating ourselves? How are we distinguishing ourselves? How are we essentially marketing and how are we branding ourselves with respect to what we do and what we can enable our our uh, our clients or mm-hmm. our portfolio companies uh, to be able to grow and scale? So that was really a, a very interesting time to be out there. I learned a lot about a whole bunch of different industries. Uh, met some pretty wild personalities uh, living out in San Francisco during that time, but. It was a great kind of complement to what I would consider was your traditional sales marketing and branding that uh, that I learned and that I kind of grew up with at General Mills. So from there, I came over to Booze to join our commercial division. I've been here for about two and a half years. It's been a uh, it's been an interesting time. It's been a great opportunity to get to work for such a big established brand. Um, specifically for my role in the commercial division, all we do is cybersecurity. Mm. So it's been a really wonderful time to spend with respect to taking my experiences, taking my learnings and marketing, applying them inside a big organization, but also to a specific domain like cyber, where it's just, it's very, very, very front page, but it's also very, very, very noisy. So it's a nice, uh, it's a nice conflict to try to navigate on a daily basis, but it's been a good challenge that I really have been able to lean on what I've learned from the traditional side of the house from General Mills, but then also from the uh, kind of more startup-y feel with GE. So this is actually now, I guess, the first company that I've worked for that isn't titled General in one way or another. So (laughs) even though we do general management consulting, uh, it's my first non-general. You should rebrand as one of your first... Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting having such a laser focus on something within such a large organization. I think everyone thinks of booze as like this very big, like octopus that does lots of things. They've heard the name. They may maybe not know everything that it does. And I know with some of our other consulting clients, that's actually a problem in some ways because they're kind of like known for jack of all trades or three or four things, but there's actually all this other stuff that they are really like laser focused on. Um, how is it being focused just like just on the cybersecurity side of things? Like, does that make your job easier? Does it make it harder within the context of, you know, kind of like what everyone thinks of booze as? It's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both in the sense of um, being focused on cyber is a really, really, I think a key advantage for us from the commercial division that I'm, that I lead from a marketing side of the house, just because it allows us to really narrow in on what are the problems that our customers are facing and how do we use marketing to help try to solve those problems and communicate to those customers. I also think there's a benefit in terms of they're a little bit easier to identify, not necessarily reach, but it's a little bit easier to identify who we're targeting. What I would say the bigger challenge for us really is more about Booz does have such a strong brand, like you said. Um, and there is a strong brand with respect to cyber for Booz, just based on the work that we've done for the intelligence side of the house or um, the federal government for years and years and years. Our biggest challenge is getting the word out from a commercial perspective that we also serve commercial clients. So mm-hmm. that when we go into a meeting, uh, oftentimes it's, oh, yeah, I know 
booze I've heard of with your bona fides in cybersecurity. Didn't realize that insert my company here was someone that you were targeting. Didn't realize you served the commercial market. Didn't realize you served pharmaceutical clients. Didn't realize that you had all of this expertise with respect to oil and gas. So it's really about how do you leverage the benefits of having the big Booz Allen brand to get you in the door and then to be able to not have the first conversation, which is, oh, yes, you know, we've been working in the commercial space for X amount of years. So it's really, I would say it's a benefit to be able to focus just on cyber. And it's really the opportunity is how do you leverage the overall brand to open doors as opposed to the, oh, I didn't know you served this market. That really is kind of the ultimate core challenge. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then as far as the marketing side of things, obviously, this is pros and content. So got to talk about content. Um, I'm sure that's an important part of like how you are kind of kicking those doors open and, and, and getting people to realize that. Um, and probably even more so now that you can't do the face to face and events and things like that. Like, how do you view content within your org now? Um, actually, maybe back that up. How did you view content before the COVID crisis? And how do you see that kind of evolving um, as we move forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I um, I was listening to I've listened to a bunch of things recently from uh, Professor Galloway and I think uh, Scott Galloway, who uh, is at NYU. And I think one of the things that he said that really resonates with oh, <laughs> one of the things I think he said that really resonates is that um, what's happening with respect to COVID-19 isn't necessarily a dramatic shifting of the future. It's just kind of a dramatic acceleration of what might have already happened. So for us, from a content perspective, honestly, I think the big... What we are looking at, honestly, is just accelerating our move to content that what I'll say is beyond one sense, right? So historically, as a more conservative... um, Consulting company, most of the content that we put forth into the world was one sense, right? So you saw it or you heard it, but you didn't have these kind of multiple different ways that you could experience it. So it would be something straightforward, right? It's a white paper. It's a sales slick. It's a presentation deck. Um, so really, the biggest thing that we're trying to do and the, the current situation is really just accelerating that is how we're moving from one sense to multi-sense content. So that's anything going from more AR, VR, more video, more interactive diagnostic tools. How do we make it so that content formerly was a tell? And what I want and what we're trying to evolve to is content as a show, right? So I don't want to tell someone something. I want to show them something. And I think realistically, that's the biggest thing that we're trying to achieve with respect to our content is how do we make it much more engaging so that we're showing someone so that they're a part of the experience as opposed to we're telling someone And now I just think it's a lot harder to capture someone's attention in this world, in this experience, in this uh, situation we're living in, if you're not bringing them and kind of into the center of the experience. So really content for us is about evolving from one sense to multi-sense. You think it will be the death of the PDF download? (laughs) I think it might. I mean, I'm really hoping that if there's a PDF and it has embedded video, it has, I mean, fortunately, I don't think my iPad does smells, but if, it, if, <laughs> if there's multiple different ways for me to interact with a PDF, then I'm okay with it. But if it's, you know, the 16 page PDF with charts and graphs, and I, I just don't think people have the time for that anymore. I think historically, um, they didn't have the time for it before. And I think now it's just, there's no, it's on us to be able to make the experience <clears throat> that much more 
productive for our end users. And I just don't honestly think that that's the way that specifically from a cyber perspective and the individuals that we work with, they don't have time for that. And that doesn't mm-hmm. actually help them answer a question that they have. And frankly, why are they coming to someone like Booz Allen? It's because they're trying to get a, qu- a question answered that either they're not able to answer internally or for some other reason, it makes more sense for them to come to Booz Allen. So I don't want to make their user experience as such to say, oh, this is going to be this is going to be more work than it's worth. So if the juice isn't worth the squeeze, then they can find someone else to go to. So for how do we make it so that it is an experience that puts them at the center of it, that shows them all the things that we do? Yeah, it's refreshing to hear. Um, I think that there's a lot of um, B2B companies, tech services, you know, what have you that, you know, the PDF download has been the repository for all content experiences. And they're solely judged by like, well, how many downloads did something get, you know, Um, but because of the nature of a PDF, there's then no tracking beyond that. They don't know what happened to it. And so you know, when we talk to those teams, they're always kind of like, well, we get this download number, but then we don't know what happens. I'm like, well, why don't you know what happens? Well, because we use PDFs. Well, why don't you put something in on, you know, on a, on a web page? So you maybe have the option to download, but you can have more of an experience there. Um, and for a lot of people, like their brains explode a little bit just because they're like, no, 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 like, like it's a PDF download. And so um, it's good to hear that you're beginning to kind of think beyond that. Um, when you think about the evolving, you know, you're talking about multi-sensory type of of content. Um, where do you see kind of like the live event going? Like, do you think the online virtual event is something that is going to be a short-term solution, or do you think it's going to be something that's going to be more longer-term accepted and maybe kind of augment, um, you know, the 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 in-person event that might happen down the road? Yeah, it's a great question. I think honestly, what the way it'll come out is that I think a certain select few companies will figure out a way to make the virtual event as effective as a live event. And there, I think you'll see a lot of components with respect to that. I also do think though that, you know, just from a content perspective, there's an entire industry based on live events, right? And some of the some of the some of the benefits of going to a live event and a conference are just the random interactions that happen, right? The conversations that you have that are spontaneous and serendipitous that otherwise wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how replaceable that is from a virtual perspective. I mean, it's the right the old adage of how much work gets done on the golf course, but it's honestly it is related to how many times have you been to a conference and had a conversation or sat in a session and ducked out because it wasn't the right one for you to get on your phone to call somebody and you physically bump into someone in the hallway. You can't do that from a virtual perspective. But what I do think is that you're able to have virtual events where you are able to basically, from a marketing perspective, get a much better understanding of the ROI. Similar to your conversation about the, the PDFs in terms of tracking, interaction, who came to my virtual booth, how long did they stay there, what pieces did they download. You can take a lot of the burden off of the individuals who are physically at the conference to become these massive sponges to try to pull in all this data. And you can actually record and you can get all that information, which then just becomes another factor in terms of your overall marketing automation plans and how you suck all that information in. So I do think that there's a tremendous data opportunity with respect to virtual events. 
But I also think you're just missing out on a lot of the serendipity that you're going to end up having from a live events perspective. That said, uh, everyone's going to make their own choice when they're ready to go back to live events. So there, I was having this exact conversation with someone the other day. There's only a certain number of things I'm kind of excited to get on a plane for at this point in time. And just, <laughs> you know, another, another conference that I, uh, uh, on the docket maybe, or maybe really isn't high on that list. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. There's, there's a, a, a finite number of like, yeah, I'm going to go through this, the hassle and the, the, the mental toll of like, what does it mean going to the airport and getting in an Uber and, you know, all that stuff just to go somewhere and, and see people. But personally, I do yearn for some person to person contact, uh, beyond this. And I think that, um, the, 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 the in-person event will, will still have that, that, that purpose in the future. I agree. I actually think they honestly become, more critical going forward to the to the extent of if I think about kind of some of our sales and business development teams, maybe they went to, let's say, I don't know, three conferences a month. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in a world in which maybe if there's a little bit more nervousness around traveling in general or large groups, if you're only going to one a month, it better be worth it. So yeah. I actually think to the to the comp, to the first question you made, I think there's a place in the world for virtual, and I 100% think there's a place in the world for live. And it's about if I'm a live event now, I think about okay, how do I make this completely worth someone's while? Because formerly, maybe I was comp- if I was a cybersecurity event, let's say, maybe I was competing with one other event within a month. Mm-hmm. If I look at it now, I say I might be competing with all other conferences, and or I might be competing with like a family vacation or something of that nature. Because if someone is only willing to get on a certain number of flights a year, to me, it's about how do I make that user experience something that they can't miss this. So I I do think that there's certainly a place for both. Yeah, for sure. Shifting gears a little bit. Sorry, Anna. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question around, well, I guess a couple of questions. First, I'm just curious, given your focus on cybersecurity, have you seen an increase an interest since COVID hit um, for in particular kind of the cybersecurity services that you guys provide? Um, and if so, why? Uh, I, my, my instinct would tell me that the answer is yes, but I don't know for sure. So I, I'm curious what you're going to say. And then second, just drilling into the content question, curious how you guys organize internally around content. Is it a decentralized function that sits within each business unit or maybe it doesn't even, maybe it's not even a function and everyone just kind of writes content. Or do you have a centralized function that runs governance, measurement, best practices, et cetera? Uh, perfect. So I'll take the the former. I would say we've seen a dramatic increase with respect to the interest in cybersecurity for the, the different services that we offer. It's due to a couple of reasons, one of which is um the security implications of working remotely. So uh, I can get into as technical as you want, but essentially as individuals move from kind of a centralized location to working remotely decentralized, it creates and it opens up this entirely new uh, attack surface for attackers to come after, um, which creates problems in terms of anything related to is your network secure? Are people using the right uh, devices, tools, and protocols to protect themselves when they're outside the office? If you think about it, like your office might be an area that has a high cybersecurity fence, which makes it difficult for an attacker to get into. But now all of a sudden, everyone is working remotely. 
employees generally have a little bit less hygiene, let's say, cyber hygiene when they're working remotely with respect to am I clicking on links maybe I shouldn't click on. I think there's just a general need for information and a yearning for places uh, to obtain that information, which may or may not be secure websites and locations. Individuals needing to maybe use a personal device when they otherwise formerly wouldn't use a personal device in the office. So there's this explosion of different attack surfaces for attackers to get after. Users are nervous, so their behavior is kind of operating differently. And what happens from a cyber perspective is there's all these different tools that are set up essentially to monitor users, monitor behavior to make sure that no one is being attacked. And it was formally based on a series of almost you know how people behaved, right? So it's your behavioral analytics. And all of that is to a certain extent dramatically different now than it was 10 weeks ago. So the fact that you're all of a sudden logging on from, you know, an area, a certain area code or zip code, that would probably be a pretty big flag months ago. But now it's not a flag because you're just working from your home. So how do you change and how do you update all of your security postures, knowing that your users are behaving differently, your attack surface is different. There's also do you have the right policies and protocols in place so that you can actually operate like is your SharePoint available if you're not logged into VPN? Are people not logging into VPN because they're having Wi-Fi issues and then they're going around the VPN? So I, it's a long-winded way of saying there is an explosion in terms of different security protocols and different security concerns that are happening right now. So that's dramatically increased kind of the need for a new perspective and a new look at cyber. Um, so I'll, I'll just say that to start. And then with respect to content at Booze, what I would say is for us... Content is really driven by the business units. So each of our different business units really focus on trying to tell stories to the clients that matter most to those specific clients. So I lead that for our commercial side of the house, but then obviously we have uh, different markets that serve different other clients. A lot of the metrics and a lot of the metrics then are decided at kind of the individual business unit level, but the ultimate measurement of said uh, of the performance of certain content is all done at the corporate level. So we are able to then kind of gain some efficiencies in terms of having measurement uh, executed at the corporate level, as well as, you know, acquisition of tools and marketing automation, etc. That all gets kind of held corporately. But then the actual creation of content, the ideas, what do the campaigns look like? What are the topics that matter? What are the, the delivery vehicles that matter? Um, how do we better connect with our clients? That's done at the business unit level. Got it. And how do you guys uh, think uh, about kind of the difference between kind of more upper funnel, let's call it brand marketing or beginning of the customer journey, however you want to think about how you engage people um, versus kind of more of the performance driven side of things? Like, do you feel content kind of fits within that entire flow or do you really utilize it in kind of one part of, of the consumer journey or the, or the marketing funnel? You know, it's a good question. I It fits throughout the entire funnel. And I think to the question that uh, Anda had asked earlier, a lot of the general awareness um, that's executed uh, by our corporate parent. So we have a, a very capable mm-hmm. um, and very kind of involved overall corporate marketing team. And they take the ownership of the overall Booz Allen brand, which I think is excellent. It mm-hmm. provides kind of the umbrella of support, the umbrella of what's going on, who is Booz Allen so that we don't walk in uh, to a meeting and someone says, never heard of Booz Allen before. So the, the general <laughs> awareness happens uh, at the corporate level. And then subsequently within that, I think it's a nice handoff to the different business units to say, okay, well, if we're, we're, we're trying to 
pursue, let's say, a particular industry, um, uh, pharmaceuticals. How are we specifically mm-hmm. going to engage with that group? That then kind of is worked on through the business unit um, and uh, the marketing leaders in the different business units. So to answer the, we have content. I think serves its purposes across the entire funnel, and then it's really at mm-hmm. booze. I think there's a kind of a handing off of the baton in terms of uh, who owns what, which has worked really well because I don't necessarily think it's. I don't think it's as it's not efficient and I don't think it's necessarily productive to have the business units speak to all of Booz Allen because I work on cyber specifically for our commercial business. I don't work on, uh, let's say, data engineering for some of our major federal clients. So the corporate team Mm -hmm. is able to kind of cast out that wider net and then the business units focus on their specific clients. Got it. Do you find, um, and I've seen this again, kind of in, in similar setups, um, where there's some duplicative efforts though, because of that, where one business might be writing about cybersecurity because that's what actually is important to a specific client that they're going after. And then you're doing the same thing. And I've actually even seen it too, where like the same company will take different sides of an argument or kind of almost different sides of the coin. Um, which then can be a little bit confusing. Hopefully there's no kind of crossing of like what the client is is seeing, but do you, is that something you encounter? And how, and if so, how do you kind of mitigate that? I think I'm fortunate that I don't really encounter that. Uh, I would say we have a pretty close knit team uh, that works together regularly. And I found that that's the best mitigation. The other side of the coin, I would say why I don't find that we encounter that as much is because just from a cyber security perspective, we have, uh, you know, our, our remit and what we do in commercial is that we take the we take a lot of what we've learned and the best practices and frankly things that we're not allowed to talk about by serving certain clients and we take our learnings and then we're able to share our learnings as a firm. So from that perspective there's a little bit less conflict to your point of taking two sides of an issue because it's an overall it's more about taking our overall cyber tradecraft our overall cyber mastery and bringing that to our clients as opposed to cyber means one thing to one side of the house and it means something to the other. So there really is kind of a general cohesion across the firm, which I think has been really, really positive uh, in terms of being able to serve. Now it's just about making sure that your different clients and your different audiences are aware. So it's mm-hmm. less of, hey, this cyber means one thing to one side of the house and something completely different to another. And it's more of Taking the taking that expertise, that tradecraft, and making sure that different markets are aware of it, um, and that we serve those markets. Mm, that makes sense. And then, how do you go about taking something like cybersecurity, which is a somewhat complex, uh, complicated uh, topic and issue that probably means different things to different people? How do you use content or other marketing means or sales tactics or, or however to kind of bring it down to like? you know, kind of putting the the customer at the center of that experience and breaking it down in ways that they're going to find um, tangible and interesting and make them want to take that next step of like, yes, I want to talk to them more. Or, yes, I'm interested. Or like, I definitely want this meeting because I'm stupid about this. And I just I need to get smart real fast. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's kind of a, a core challenge that we try to solve. I mean, one of the things I would say with respect to to your question is really it's about from a cyber perspective, what are the business problems that we solve? Because at the end of the day, 
we are working with, from a commercial perspective, we're working with a chief information security officer, a CISO. Mm-hmm. We're working with a chief technology offer, officer, a chief digital officer, a chief information officer, and you know they have problems that they need to solve, right? So it comes down to, honestly, we try to stay out of from, we try to stay out of particularly technical unless we're speaking to a technical audience, right? If I, if we are having a series of technical deep dives with some of our experts from the overall, let's say the threat business, then mm-hmm. we'll, then we'll go deep. But it's honestly, to your point, if cybersecurity is nebulous, which it definitely is, <laughs> it's about, okay, so what is, what does cybersecurity help solve or what problems do we help solve? So right now, some of the areas that we're working on are related to supply chain and third-party risk. We're working on operational technology. We're working on digital transformations. We're working on um, insider threats and we're working on protecting your IP. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about, you know, our widget goes X faster than somebody else's widget. It's honestly, we help you solve these business problems because at the end of the day, that's what our clients are, are really looking for. They're looking for someone to say, I need help. You know, I can help you solve this business problem. And I think by keeping it focused on business problems and outcomes, it allows us to have a more productive conversation than we otherwise would. And the other side, I would say is, you know, why would someone want to have that conversation and what can we do with that content is we try to show people, right? Here's mm-hmm. all the ways that we've solved this in the past. Here's all the ways that we have been able to work with companies that look like your companies to be able to generate the following outcomes. Because I think with respect to cyber, there's a lot of noise and there's, it's, it's an incredible amount of kind of buzzword bingo, but you can't really argue with the, we've done X for this client and here's what it produced. Now, we don't talk about that very publicly. And because frankly, a lot of the work that we do is can't, we're yeah. not allowed to talk about, <laughs> yeah. but that doesn't mean, um, that we aren't able to kind of anonymize to say we've worked in this industry, we have these experience, we've had these credentials. And then it becomes one of those where from a marketing perspective, our biggest advocates become our existing clients, which as somebody in marketing is about as good as it's going to get from a sales and a marketing perspective. And just knowing that it's less about us. It's not me telling someone now it's honestly a customer showing someone else what we've been able to deliver. And that's been extremely powerful. Yeah, we've had we've been, had that same struggle as far as not being able to uh, release case studies and things like that because we're talking about data of our clients in many cases, and you know our our clients are very protective of that. But at the same time, we've also been lucky where we've had that same experience where our clients are you know uh, become big proponents of us and can can talk about it themselves, which you know then then you don't have to worry about it, which is great. Yeah, and I think to that point, it's as you. To your earlier question of, is it a benefit to be able to focus on cybersecurity? What I would say is it is, especially from a marketing perspective, because I don't have to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I go through things like awareness and I bring people down and through the funnel, I think we're able to be specific and we're able to be focused. And that allows us to be more efficient in how we use our marketing budgets and our marketing dollars, right? So we're able to better tailor our content. We're able to better create engaging content, knowing that we can be a little bit more specific in who we're focusing on. Yeah. And I imagine with something that moves as quickly as cybersecurity as well, um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of market sensing going on out there. Like, how do you... Kind of, you mentioned like the different things that you're, different components that you're focused on right now. 
like how do you balance that with like what you're hearing from existing clients or potential clients and like what they're interested in the hot thing that they're on um and balance that out with like your point of view at booze and like what you guys want to be focused on in the, in the conversation that you want to be controlling and guiding because i could see it very easily becoming um you know, a case of like shiny new thing itis, which is, you know, someone's like, well, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And you kind of always want to have an answer for them. But at the same time, that can very, very much dilute your message. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, it's a great point, right? It's you have to be able to sense and understand what's happening in the world, but you can't also have the the tail wag the dog. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think from our perspective, we kind of have a core set of materials and beliefs in terms of the overall world of cybersecurity in terms of what good cybersecurity looks like, the importance of things like people, process, and technologies, and foundationally where we think clients should be, and subsequently how how they might then move down the stack. That is to say, from a messaging perspective, we kind of have a core belief in terms of what it is that we do and what we do differently compared to competitors, and what is our distinguished, what are our really kind of hallmarks and our distinguishing criteria that separate us. So, at the end of the day, from a messaging perspective. We're always incorporating and we're trying to filter in what we're hearing from existing clients, what we're hearing from new clients. Um, but ultimately, does it change fundamentally how we see the world? I think we, we use that and it's kind of a continuous evolution. But we feel like from a commercial perspective and an overall cyber perspective at Booz is we have what we call tradecraft. And tradecraft is experience times expertise. So fundamentally, if someone is interested in a new tool or there's a new attack vector coming out or there's a new group that's going after people, we keep coming back to the message of we have experience and we have the expertise. So not only have we worked on maybe this particular problem, we also have uh, spent some time on it in your particular industry. So for us, we try to keep our messaging specific and related to tradecraft because honestly, that fundamentally is what distinguishes us from a lot of our competitors and our tradecraft allows us to do, to help customers solve their business problems. So that really at the end of the day is, yes, we're interested in what's new and what's happening in the world. And how do we take what is happening? How do we apply our tradecraft to better solve these problems for our customers? So what I'm hearing is like authenticity in your message in, in a way is 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 really important and is is the differentiator as opposed to like, hey, we can do lots of things. Yeah. And I will also say we intentionally focus on uh, only solving what we would consider the most advanced cyber problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and, and that is what's really exciting is working on a, a smaller team and being dynamic is, you know, spending a lot of time with the product team as well as to say, you know, for example, there are certain elements and there are certain services within cybersecurity that we don't offer. Right. We, we don't necessarily offer everything now we might partner with other individuals if we if we need to, but we're not going to do that because it doesn't necessarily fit with what we what what our overall business plan is, how we're set up organizationally, where we feel like our strengths and weaknesses exist. So I think we are authentic in terms of who we are, what we do, you know, what we do well, what we don't do so well, and that allows us to really have kind of genuine conversations. So for example, we have an incident response team, which is where if someone is unfortunately experiencing a cyber breach and the leader of our incident response business spent 24, 26 years with the FBI and he was the FBI's leader uh, during the Sony hack. So, you know, we're just honest, like 
we have really great experience here. Now, yeah. there's a price premium to pay for these really great experiences, and maybe everyone isn't able to pay that price premium. And that's okay, because we're not going to solve, we're not going to be all things to all people and kind of chase, but to the right people, we're going to be, we're going to be everything for them. So it's kind of a stretch as an example, but I think about a company like Patagonia. Patagonia, I love Patagonia. I think from a brand perspective, I think they do really, really well because they're not for everybody. They're pretty open that they're not for everybody, but for some people, they're everything. If you're, you know, not only just the products that they sell, but where they branch into, how they do things like they repair your gear and your garments. Mm -hmm. And I, it's one of those things where they're not going to be everything to everybody, but to some people, they're everything. You know, some people will buy their jackets, their sockeye salmon. <laughs> they'll figure out where they want to donate and they'll figure out where they want to get politically active all through one company like Patagonia. And I just think it's great that they've essentially put the line in the sand and they've said, we feel like we have a core audience that we serve. We are very authentic in who we are. And if you want to get on the boat with us, uh, you can get on the boat with us and we'll, you know, we'll be here for you. So maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but I, I think aspirationally, that's what we try to do as well. We, we were not everything to all people, but to the right clients, we'll do everything. Two more questions. And one's actually a tangent on that. So when we think about content um, within organizations, uh, one thing that we've discovered is like when we first went to market, we were only looking at marketing content, such as like what you guys are doing. But we found that there's a whole other breadth of content that exists out there, whether it is investor relations, corporate communications, corp affairs, employee communications, recruitment communications, all of that is is content. Um, and some uh, companies have taken a much more integrated approach where Corp comms and corp affairs, for instance, sits actually very closely with marketing or sometimes even within the marketing organization, because while their missions are somewhat separate, there needs to be a cohesiveness in the message. So you don't end up with this kind of like non sequitorial, like, like voice out in the, in the world. Um, other clients are much more still siloed where like corp comms, corp affairs has like their set of goals. They report to the CEO and they do one thing. And then marketing is doing their thing, but that sometimes leads to sometimes friction, um, as well as messaging being a little bit separated. Like, how do you guys approach that, and and, and how do you kind of uh, ensure that the messaging going out to the world is as cohesive as possible? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say I think it comes back to the earlier comment of the corporate uh, corporate uh, at Booz Allen. There's an individual who leads corporate affairs, and within corporate affairs, for him is. Uh, everything related to government affairs, media, media relations, uh, as well as marketing. So all of that. And then that group works very, very closely what we would call, uh, I think it's called people services, which mm -hmm. is essentially HR. So mm -hmm. that is all handled specifically from a corporate level, which again, I think makes a lot of sense because, you know, for, for, for example, all of recruiting is handled at that level. And then they were, they receive inputs from, you know, from the different business units in terms of what are the different types of skill sets that you're looking for. But it allows for a consistency of message across the board. So for example, I don't have my own recruiting team within marketing, within commercial, because that all gets handled uh, at the corporate level. So I agree. I think that there's a, there's a consistency. I think the overall, the trade off then is just, when you when you sit corporately there, you have to you know, and you have multiple business units to serve. You just have to balance the priorities of serving the different business units. But we certainly think that there is a, a kind of a big strategic advantage in terms of having all of that sit corporately, especially from a messaging and a content perspective. Yeah, makes sense. 
Um, and then my last question, uh, a little bit of a bigger question, but thinking about kind of like the CMO um, or the marketing leader of the future, um, where do you see that role going? Um, like what skills do you think they need to have to be effective and maintain relevance um, and continue to be, um, you know, a pillar of, you know, how these these companies operate and how they make money at the end of the day? Yeah, Great question. I mean, the cop out answer, honestly, is that I think it depends on the individual organization. So, but I will elaborate because I don't think that's fair. <laughs> so, I mean, from my perspective, I think if you're a CMO, you have to come in with like a Swiss Army Ney set of skills and tools that you can deploy depending on the situation in the organization. So, the former CMO of GE Ventures, what she had and what she needed, she was great at. That's very different than the CMO of General Mills. It's very different than kind of what I do in my current role today. And, you know, it's very different than what the CMO of Rolex does, right? I mm -hmm. think really it comes down to thinking about it from a, to your point, there's a, there's the different balances that you need to strike between things like branding, between awareness, between Salesforce effectiveness. I think you ultimately, absolutely have to be completely fluent in kind of marketing automation, digital tools, metrics. To me, I think it's really you need to be regardless of what organization you're in, you need to be building those relationships with the business units, you need to be building those relationships with the product managers. Because if you don't understand your product, and you don't understand the overall goals that you're trying to achieve, congratulations that you know, you have a bunch of degrees, I think, the worst thing you can do is kind of your ivory tower marketing, right? So it's, hey, this is what we are. This is this is it. This is the end of it. And I only think about this one part of the world. I, I think that that myopic view is really not going to serve anyone in particular. I think from my experience, having worked in a bunch of different organizations, is that a marketing leader is really successful when they can connect the dots across the organization and they can be the oil in the machine. So whether that be Hey, we've executed on something. How are we following up? Okay, that might be in one organization, that might be the role of sales. In another, it might be the role of marketing. In another, it might be the role of Salesforce effectiveness. But you have to really get in there. You have to understand how the organization works. You have to have the EQ and the IQ to be able to build those relationships because the CMO of one company probably looks really, really, really different than the CMO of another company. So if you're just focused on this is the one platonic ideal of what a CMO does. I think A, you're limiting yourself. Mm -hmm. And B, I think you're limiting what you could contribute to the overall business. No, I think that's a great, great point of view. And I think it's a great way to finish up. Um, I know there's a lot of obviously marketing leaders and CMOs that listen to this. And I think that um, in that community, everyone's looking about like, you know, how do I keep that relevance? How do I drive things forward? How do I add more value to the business? And I think that um, those are some good, some good tips and pointers. So um, thanks so much for joining today. Really appreciate the conversation. Um, covered a bunch of stuff from cybersecurity to content. So we have to rename the podcast um, after this one. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, so again, thank you, Brendan from uh, Booz Allen and um, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pros and Content with Brendan Delaney, the CMO of the Commercial Division at Booz Allen Hamilton. One thing that stood out was how Brendan utilized the larger Booz Allen Hamilton brand name and recognition to introduce more niche operations and services to potential clients, as well as the dramatic increase in cybersecurity that we've seen over the past few months as more and more companies move digital. 
Please remember to review and subscribe. And for more info, visit us at prosandcontent.co. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.